morning, Glory America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. From the ReliefFactor.com studios inside the sweltering beltway, the swamp is indeed a swamp. I am Hugh Hewitt. That music means it is time for the Hillsdale Dialogue. The last radio hour of my week is always with a member of the faculty or team at Hillsdale College, usually Dr. Larry Arn, the president, often Dr. Matt Spaulding, the director of Hillsdale College's Kirby Center, that lighthouse of sweet reason, that lantern of freedom in the shadow of the Capitol. And it is indeed Dr. Spaulding this morning. Matt, welcome. Are you Spartacus? <laughs> I am Spartacus. <laughs> what did you make of that moment? Before we go large, let's go small. Cory Booker. Well, it's, it's both uh, small and large, right? I mean, it, it, the small proves the large, which is this, this is theater. But I think, well, first of all, I, I just think he made an, an embarrassing mistake. He was competing with Harris and, and uh, you know, about the positioning for the 2020 uh, he thought he had something. It turns out it had been previously released, so it completely undermines his position. Uh, it also turns out that Kavanaugh was the recipient of the email chain originally, and then it also turns out that Kavanaugh was opposed to racial profiling. So I, I think this is an example of a politician who does something very quickly, thinks he has something, um, and he stepped on it. And then this, this is a Spartacus moment, was just absolutely... Ridiculous. My, my thought, I was trying to think of a parallel. This is really a Tom Sawyer moment, right? You, you recall Tom Sawyer, right? He fakes his own funeral to show how great he is. Um, I mean, this was a setup. This was completely theatrical uh, in order to show that he's somehow being civilly disobedient by releasing documents. Um, so I, I think this is actually going to, to hurt him considerably, considerably. Although I looked at the New York Times this morning, there's really no mention of it, hardly. Well, i got to tell you, Marco Rubio, a serious thinker. Marco Rubio just tweeted out, to your point, he just four minutes ago tweeted out, on this day in 718 B.C., or 71 B.C., the Thracian gladiator Spartacus was put together, put to death by Marcus Linnaeus Crassus for disclosing confidential scrolls. When informed days later that, in fact, the Roman Senate had already published, uh, publicly released the scrolls, Crassus replied, oh, go, okay, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> so he's <laughs> exactly. So I, I think he really looks uh, looks pretty silly. And in the in the in the presidential primary, if you will, the Kavanaugh primary, Kavanaugh primary, I think uh, I think Harris, although she looked wasn't that serious as well, but she was actually much more aggressive. And I think in terms of how the left looks at this, uh, she won that. Uh, debate with Cory Booker. In fact, uh, Amy Klobuchar and Chris Coons were both serious, substantive, uh, tenacious, though wrong, and a a Klobuchar-Coons ticket would be something. Let's go to 30,000 feet. Your assessment of whatever you want to talk about of Judge Kavanaugh's two-day ordeal, if you want to call it an ordeal, it's just, you just have to sit there and listen to a lot of nonsense. But what did you think, Matt Spaulding? I I, I, I was struck in watching it. it. It really was two parallel universes. Uh, you had uh, Kavanaugh, who gave an excellent testimony. I think he did extremely well and took serious questions and uh, bantered with them in a serious way. He was actually testifying. That was actually a hearing. But then parallel to that, in another universe, we had a, a, the protests, and we had positioning for the 2020 campaign, and we had a divided Democratic Party trying to figure out these debates on the documents, um, all of which, by the way, I don't know if you've picked this up, but it was made apparent by this uh, rules discussion 
which forced McConnell on what the second day to temporarily close down the Senate. I don't know if you followed that, but that just proved that this was theater. Yep. The, the Democrats could have shut down the committee hearing because by a, an arc, one of these great Senate rules, you can't have the Senate uh, and a, this committee occurring at the same time. But instead, they had a consent agreement to allow the hearing to continue. They could have shut it down, and they didn't. They wanted that hearing precisely for that moment. So you, you had theater on the one hand, um, which is really kind of the, 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 the way that political debate and the way that, that side of that base is pushing, and the other side trying to have a serious hearing with an excellent candidate. And I think this reveals a lot about American politics right now, which is this, this divide, which is getting uh, larger as, as we go. But he did a wonderful job, I thought. And, and I want to ask about one area in particular of concern to my pro-life friends. And I'm talking with Dr. Matt Spaulding of Hillsdale College, hillsdale.edu for all things Hillsdale, Hugh for hillsdale.com for all of the Hillsdale dialogues, which date back to 2013. Sign up for Primus, by the way. It's the uh, absolutely free newsletter from hillsdale.edu. Uh, and there are many online courses, including courses on the Constitution that you ought to watch if you want to understand what went on. And the first exchange he had with Senator Feinstein, the ranking minority member, Senator Feinstein pressed him on Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Mm-hmm. Casey. And Judge Kavanaugh said Planned Parenthood v. Casey is precedent on precedent, which is troubling to some pro-lifers because they thought that verged close to super precedent, meaning it couldn't be overturned. But right. then he upheld as the greatest decision, the greatest moment in Supreme Court history, Brown v. Board, which overturns Plessy v. Ferguson. Right. And right. Plessy was a precedent on precedents. And so I think it was, if you read the whole thing, nobody knows what he's going to do. But you, as Mitch McConnell told me yesterday, I'll play the tape, nobody really knows what he's going to do. And that's just what the framers intended. Well, I I, I don't know if I'd I'd go so far to say no one knows what he's going to do. What I think we know what he's going to do in the sense that he's going to make these decisions in light of the Constitution. And there's a certain similarity here with the very idea of judicial review in the first place. Um, so his, the, the email that was released that supposedly shows he has no concern for precedent in, on the Roe case, which I think is not a strong case either, uh, and this seemingly reference to precedent on precedent, which is, was, is his concern is a reference back to that was, I think, Arlen Specter talking to Roberts at his hearing about a super precedent. Um, the problem you have here is how to understand the role of, of precedent. And like Judicial Review itself, the idea is that you look at it case by case in light of the of, of the Constitution, and and I, and I think his parsing that was actually quite good, uh, and I have not, I don't I don't have concerns about it. I actually, was very uh, heartened by his his language and how he's thinking that through. I mean, recall the the time between Plessy and uh, Brown is what fifty eight years. Um, I, I I thought what I went back and looked at and what I thought of is uh, Justice Roberts' concurrence in the Citizens United case. Yep, the key uh, issue. In That's which the he key talks reading. about pre- uh, precedent, and I think he walks this through. It's kind of stuck in the middle of this concurring opinion, and it's an excellent laying out of what precedent means and what it doesn't mean. It's not inexorable. It's not mechanical. Um, it's a principle of policy. It's a rule of thumb. And there That's are factors in stare decisis. You can't, you can't turn around. Yeah, there are some factors like reliance, which would hold Obergefell. You wouldn't want to upset that. But there isn't reliance in the case of people who are not yet pregnant. And political factors. Did the society accept 
what you decided. And it clearly didn't with Brown v. Board, thank God. It didn't accept Plessy. And it hasn't with Roe. And so I think you're, you have an argument. It could go either way, although a lot of pro-life people were upset with that. Let well, me play for you. What it does show us is that um, one thing here is that is unknown, and this is a prudential question, as in jurisprudence, uh, if you're going to overturn a precedent, one way to do it is as soon as you get five votes, you overturn a precedent. The other way to do it is, well, we need to be careful here. This has been around a while. We need to, to, to uh, get around the edges, bite around the ankles, and, and hone this in and, and, and box it in somehow so that at the end of the day, it's kind of an empty shell. There are different ways in which you, how you can go after precedents. Uh, without doing it in a, uh, a politically overt or large-scale way. And I, I think he might have a much more nuanced view of that, as I think does Justice Roberts. Absolutely, he does. When we come back, I'm going to play for Matt uh, Spaulding some of the clips of the majority leader's comments to me about the Kavanaugh confirmation, which I played in the first two hours to get his reaction to them. The entire audio and transcript of my conversation with Senator McConnell is posted over at HughHewitt.com. Don't go anywhere except to Hillsdale.edu. That's where you go to get everything Hillsdale. Great sponsor of this program and a terrific uh, lantern in the north and a lantern in the shadow of the Capitol for first principles and freedom. They're the ones. Actually, you probably had viewing parties at the Kirby Center. Am I right, Matt Spaulding? <laughs> Uh, there were comedy parties at some point. Well, I'm just telling you, I, it's the only place in town other than my living room that I know had 24-7 C-SPAN coverage on because the cable networks cut away. An admission, Matt, that it's over. They didn't follow the whole thing to the end. They've given up. They can't stop him. No, no. They, they just wanted the good show trial parts. But the, but the actual serious parts of, of the hearing were, were, were excellent and a very high quality. As they were. Well, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere, America. Dr. Matt Spaulding, director of the Kirby Center. Follow the Kirby Center on Twitter. Follow Hillsdale on Twitter at Hillsdale. And then go to Hillsdale.edu. Sign up for Imprimus. Absolutely, positively free. And all those free online courses. And if you're a young college student, go and apply today. Go to the Lantern of the North. Stay tuned. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. Mitch McConnell, thanks for sitting down with me today. Yeah, glad to be with you. You've said many times that Judge Kavanaugh will be confirmed and that your major power is controlling the calendar. So the question is, when will he be confirmed? Before the end of September, he'll be on board at the Supreme Court by the first Monday in October, which you and I both know is the beginning of the October term. Any doubt in your mind about that result? None whatsoever. I think any doubts anybody might have had have been dispelled by his virtuoso performance before the Judiciary Committee. I mean, it's stunning. Uh, he's just um, a stellar nomination in every respect. I'm going to come back to the specifics of his performance in a moment, but you've got 26 appeals court judges confirmed. This will be your second Supreme Court justice confirmed. There are 10 more in the queue who've already been nominated for the federal appeals court. Excuse me. McConnell, do you expect those 10 to be confirmed before the end of this session? Yeah, we're going to clear the deck of all the circuit judges, as you have reported uh, repeatedly, and I appreciate the attention you've given to it. Uh, I think among the most important things we've done not just Supreme Court justices, but the circuit judges. Uh, we've set a record for the first two years of any administration. Uh, if we can hold on to the Senate for two more years, we're going to transform the federal judiciary with young men and women who believe in the fundamental notion that the job of a judge is to interpret the laws as written. Welcome back, now, America. Judge Kavanaugh, frequently 
ReliefFactor.com studio inside the Beltway with Dr. Matt Spaulding, director of the Kirby Center, Hillsdale College's outpost of reason in the Capitol. Uh, Matt Spaulding, what did you make of uh, Leader McConnell's certainty and as to the record thus far on judges? Uh, I, I thought he, in terms of certainty, I think he's absolutely right. Uh, I think uh, Kavanaugh's performance and the fact that, I think the fact that we're seeing this theater is precisely because they really don't have uh, something to go after, and they really don't have a serious argument about uh, his appointment. He's clearly qualified as the, uh, I, I can't remember his name, but it's the fellow judge who uh, helped introduce him, who's a Ruth Bader Ginsburg judge, but fully endorsed him as an excellent, uh, excellent uh, qualified judge to be on the Supreme Court. So I think he's absolutely right about that. I think McConnell's record in what he's done on judges, I think they have, it's, it's 60 now, and the internal a goal is 100 by the end of the year, uh, is is truly his legacy. I think that's the way he understands it. Um, I, I, I would like to see him put it in broader and, and more elevated constitutional terms beyond this is this is all I can do as majority leaders control the calendar. I'd like to see more revival of Congress, per se. But having said this is an excellent uh, thing that he's he's done in terms of reviving that. This will be a legacy that will survive a, a long time. And uh, I, I think that given the maturity of conservatism uh, and the development of these judges, because this goes back a long way in the making in terms of the revival of this argument about how to interpret the Constitution, uh, and now these are the kind of appointments and their young appointments and the, the, the sheer numbers, this will actually have a significant, significant effect uh, on the judiciary, but as a result, uh, a lot of our politics, because... If you go back and hew to a um, stronger sense of the, what the Constitution tended in terms of not only the, the court's understanding of things, but the presidency in Congress, that will really point us towards the revival of the other branches uh, and thus the separation of powers, which I think is really the ultimate goal here. It's not a policy or a political outcome, but it's a revival of constitutionalism. Uh, and I think that's the, the, the goal, and I think in, in hindsight we'll look back and, and Mitch McConnell will have a significant role in having, uh, having done that as majority leader. Uh, and indeed, we'll talk about, and I'll play for you what he said about his legacy. He also said that the Ginsburg standard, which Judge Kavanaugh frequently invoked, I want to quote, what, after what happened to Robert Bork, McConnell said, every nominee of every president since then has not speculated on what they might rule in the future, and that's not going to change, Matt. Uh, do you agree that that's a good development? Less than a minute. Uh, yes and no. On the one hand, I think they, they'd be careful not to get caught up in things, but I would like to hear more about how judges think. I think uh, Kavanaugh gave us some of that, but they tried to bork him by going after getting him caught up on political questions and who we know when, where, and what. And so he had to do that. It's unfortunate. Um, I think they shouldn't talk about coming cases, but we should know how they think, how they interpret the Constitution, and where they are on that. I'd like to hear more. We heard a lot of very good things from Kavanaugh, but always more is always better. I'll be right back with Matt Spaulding of the Hillsdale Kirby Center in Washington, D.C. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. All of our previous conversations for your binge-listening pleasure with Dr. Spaulding, Dr. R, and other Hillsdale faculty. All collected at you for Hillsdale.com. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. And I want to go back to Judge Kavanaugh, the focus of this. He invoked yesterday among his many Federalist papers in response to Senator Lee, number 69. That's by Hamilton. In Federal 69, uh, Alexander Hamilton says, a president may only be impeached 
tried and removed, and then subject to criminal process. Your lawyer, good one, and the leader of this body, do you believe a president can be indicted? <laughs> I'm a lawyer, but not a good one. <laughs> the, uh, the Justice Department, I gather, has taken the uh, position under presidents of both parties that the appropriate remedy for presidential misbehavior is impeachment. I I'm not an expert on this, but I hear that's the case. Do you think he is subject to subpoena? Uh, Judge Kavanaugh delicately avoided answering that Yeah, question. that'll be up to the courts to decide. Uh, I have no idea what, how they would rule. Uh, Stop right there. Uh, uh, I am Hugh Hewitt in the ReliefFactor.com studio inside the Beltway. I am joined by Dr. Matthew Spaulding, director of the Kirby Center Hillsdale College's Lighthouse of Sweet Reason in the shadow of the Capitol. You can find all things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. All of our Hillsdale dialogues, of which this is one, are collected at hughforhillsdale.com for your binge listening back to the founding of uh, literature, actually. Matt Spaulding, what do you make of that? Can a president be indicted? Can a president be subpoenaed? I thought that was a good uh, a, a good point. I, of course, perked up when I heard him talking about his favorite Federalist papers and took careful notes. <laughs> We're such geeks. You and me both. Um, Mike Lee, you, me. And it actually is what the Democrats ought to focus on with 69. <laughs> uh, well, if they would look at them and take them seriously and ask those questions, that would have been a very interesting conversation. Um, look, look, I think McConnell gets gets the point here, which is, and he's alluding to it, I'm, I'm a list, you know, I, I wish they are, are, you know, I wish he would stop making this reference to, well, the courts left to decide this. I, I, I don't like that. We sh political leaders, especially, uh, you know, senators should, should have a good sense of this. Um, and the problem is this is a broader separation of powers problem. Um, and uh, I, don't, I don't think the president can be subpoenaed while he's president. And, you know, in 69, it's clear that uh, you know, yes, I mean, the remedy is impeachment. You can't indict them while they're in office. Uh, these are political questions, uh, which is to say that the political officers, uh, the Congress, uh, they should have an opinion because it's a political question. It's not something to be, it's going to be left to the courts. It's going to now, it might have been prudential for him, right? It might have been prudential for him not yeah. to answer yesterday. But I believe Clinton v. Jones now is wrongly decided. And we have seen the consequences of not only civil, but God knows what a criminal proceeding would be directed at a president. And Hamilton's very clear, Matt. And I, you, I think you and I have the same opinion on what Hamilton and the framers had in mind, which is, you know, the president is running a government. If you want to take him out, take him out and you can do it quickly but you do not cripple him with a thousand lawsuits no that, that, that's that's exactly right and that's precisely why it's a political question right these are prudential judgments uh so it's it's not a legal question it should be deferred to the political branch and they should impeach him if they that is that is the, the remedy the, the other question you know can the president pardon himself now there's a hard one uh, i can see an the, the the legal community is, is somewhat split on that i i i think he probably actually can precisely for the same reasons i'm less much less comfortable with that but that's a political question if he tried to do that right and i haven't done my homework uh, on that yet i have not read the federalist papers on the pardon power sufficiently recently that i could actually give you a studied opinion but i do know what i know about 69 an impeachment yeah. trial removal and then ordinary criminal proceedings that's hamilton that's almost a direct quote but that's also how they just discussed it at the convention, right? They, they talked about the presidential removal. This was debated, um, and and in coordination as they were developing this idea, well, we have three branches. Each branch plays a certain role. Uh, the removal question is 
a political question. The, the essential quality of the separation of powers is we have to preserve room for those types of questions. And ultimately, that when we say it's a political question, also means it goes to elections. Namely, you, you, you defer to the American people. These are large questions, um, and they're not technical legal questions. And one of our problems today is everything is becoming a technical legal question, which, among, which gives judges way too much authority over way too many things, which is a, a very large problem. But more importantly, it just removes certain things. It's like sending regulatory questions to the bureaucracy. More and more things are being decided in places where there's, there's not an open political discussion. You can't kind of have the back and forth of a deliberative process, but separate from and, and, and isolated from the, the role of consent that the legislature gives you or in, in presidential elections, uh, the election the president gives you. This kind of question was to go to that. That's what impeachment means. It's a prudential question that the legislature will make as to what is a high crime and misdemeanor. We can talk now, about the historic precedents, but it ultimately it's, it's a question for them to decide. My guest is Dr. Matthew Spaulding, director of the Kirby Center Hillsdale College's uh, office and, and study center in the Capitol. I thought the greatest contribution, as a professor of constitutional law, I have to teach this once a year, maybe twice a year. I have to try and explain the difference to my, my newbies, my second years, who, you know, they're diving in. They, you know, most case books start with Marbury. They skip the Constitution. They do not know what originalism is. They do not know what textualism is. They do not know what constitutional textualism, constitutional textualism is. And they definitely don't know that original intent is not what those first three things are. Uh, but, but Judge Kavanaugh sat down and he parsed them all out. I thought that was a high point for teachers, uh, Matt Spaulding, a very high no, I, point. I, I, yeah, I, I thought he was just excellent on, on those things, and he kept pulling it back to these broader, uh, broader elements. I mean, his discussion of the Federalist Papers and how he weaved that into his, his testimony was uh, was was very good. But from a, you know, even to take a step back from that, from a broader teaching point of view, coming back to our overall overall view of these these hearings. I think what we're seeing now, and now it's become a, it's now open as a political debate, is this is not a, a debate about, well, is he a textualist or an originalist, or, right? We're not parsing those things anymore. If, if you want to see the difference between the different types of originalist, uh, you can look at, uh, you know, go, go to a Federal Society conference and see them debate uh, these questions. There's a serious debate there about constitutional questions. But broadly, what we see in this hearing is a debate between originalism writ large, this general idea that you should go back to the document and the document and its, its laws passed underneath it with some role of precedent um, is the thing that is your guiding light. That's the general argument being made here by Kavanaugh and judges like him versus kind of a non-originalism or, or what is usually called non-interpretism, which says that the, the Constitution itself is actually a minor factor. It's all about how do we update it, the living Constitution argument, or how do we use it uh, and make a broader political argument separate from the Constitution, or, or, or find things in its penumbers and, and emanations. I, I think it's really important to, to not only understand the particulars of types of originalism and textualism and things like that, but just see broadly, see the forest for the trees here. This, this is not that debate. This right, let me, is not that debate. And, and boy, is it not. And I want to play for you next um, about the importance of what McConnell is doing here. Cut number four from the McConnell interview. The ultimate question 
Uh, is this your legacy, beginning with the decision to hold open the Scalia vacancy because of the death of Justice Scalia through the organization of the appeals and Supreme Court nominee? Is this the most important part of Mitch McConnell's legacy? I think so. I think it's the most consequential series of things that I've done that have the longest impact on the country. In the legislative process, Hugh, there's not much you can do all by yourself. The one thing the majority leader can do that no one else can do is the schedule, what you will do or what you will not do. I think the decision not to fill the Scalia vacancy was the most consequential decision of my career. And I think the follow-up on that, to not only fill these Supreme Court vacancies, but put in place men and women who believe that the job of the judge is to interpret the law into as many places as we can, particularly at the circuit court level, for as long as we're in the majority, is the most important thing I will have been involved in in my career. All right. Now, Matt Spaulding, I have an op-ed coming out in the Washington Post today where I say it is not overstatement to say that decision after the sudden and shocking death of Justice Scalia by Mitch McConnell and the subsequent action of he, President Trump, Chairman Grassley, has saved the Constitution as we know it, meaning as amended and as interpreted through the end of this term. I don't know what they're going to reverse. I don't know what they're going to change. But I do know it's not going to be a radical lurch to the left because of that decision by Mitch McConnell and the nominee sent forward by President Trump and the proceedings by Chairman Grassley and the GOP caucus. Do you agree with me? I, 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 I do. This is it's, it's, it's important to understand that, that the potential turning point there. Right. Uh, 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 you know, Merrick Gartland and uh, to fill the Scalia seat, um, you know, that was a that would have been a very significant shift. And so not doing that and getting Gorsuch in was a holding position, which then set up this nomination, uh, Kavanaugh replacing Kennedy. Um, and of course, that's exactly what is to happen in, in, in politics. The president appoints, the Senate uh, approves. The key thing here is what McConnell did, which I think is, is historically defendable and, 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 and proper, but he had the, the foresight to understand that, and I think under the circumstances, did exactly what, how, how one, one should do, right? The, the, the idea of constitutional actors, uh, whether the, the president, a member of Congress, the Supreme Court uh, justice, they are to uphold the Constitution as they carry out their duties, right? That's precisely what it means. And McConnell really did that. He's got an understanding of the Constitution. Um, he sees his role, and he's using the tools he has at hand, uh, namely the, the calendar, the schedule, the ability to, to uh, control and, and use the Senate to uh, do its constitutionality of advice and consent. So I, I think it was a key turning point. We don't know what, what's going to happen and where this goes. Uh, but I think if you look at the longer history of the direction, the trends of the courts, and this is exactly what one of the important things politics is about, is appointments to a, the other, uh, the, one of the three branches is, is determined by elections. Uh, this is precisely what it's been about, and I think in hindsight that will be seen as a major threshold turning point. Uh, and so I think McConnell is right in seeing that as his, as his legacy, which, which I hope that there's a lot more to that as we now try to rebuild Congress. Uh, and Ike, you're right that that will be uh, a major turning point for the history of the Constitution. It's a, it's a major point in, in constitutional history. When we come back, I'm going to talk with uh, Matt Spaulding about the counterfactual. What if 
a President Clinton had appointed a Stephen Reinhardt-like justice, and then Justice Kennedy had retired, and President Clinton appointed a second Stephen Reinhardt-like justice. The counterfactual here is what people have to focus on because we were that close, people. And then, and these other 26 appeals court judges matter as well, and the 41 district court judges, but the 26 soon to be 36 and maybe 46 by the end of this term. It depends if the White House Counsel's Office gets its act together. When we come back, we'll talk about the counterfactual. Don't go anywhere. The McConnell interview is posted audio and transcript over to HughHewitt.com. Matt Spaulding will be right back. Welcome back, America, to the ReliefFactor.com studio inside the Beltway. I am Hugh Hewitt, Dr. Matt Spaulding is my guest. I almost called you Dr. Matt Cavanaugh. Dr. Matt Spaulding is my guest from Hillsdale College's Kirby Center in Washington, D.C. All things Hillsdale on this Hillsdale Dialogue Hour, the last radio hour of the week, are found at hillsdale.edu. Dr. Spaulding knows his con law, knows his constitutional history, so I present the counterfactual. If President Trump had been defeated and we had President Clinton and she had filled the Scalia seat and had filled the Kennedy seat with people like Stephen Reinhardt, how significant would that be to our history? Uh, very, very significant. I mean, uh, but, I, but I want to parse this a couple different, different ways, because it is a very significant question. I think we don't want to miss um, or underemphasize it. Today, I think we, we suffer from uh, a, a couple of problems. For a lot of people, they think of the Constitution, and, and they think it's merely legalisms, and it's for judges. And so for, for many people, there's not that much interest in it. A nomination comes up, and they get in, a particular interest, but they, on the left, on the right, generally tend to be concerned about policy outcomes. Well, I'm concerned about um, uh, human, the protection of human life and unborn life, or I'm concerned about uh, the Second Amendment. Those are legitimate questions. I don't mean to, to, to d- diminish them, but I, but I think there's a much larger thing here, which we've already alluded to in the previous segment, which is this larger trend of the type of rule and the type of government under, under which we, we live. Uh, and we were fast moving towards, and this, this question is not resolved. There is essentially a broad, uh, you know, low boil of a, of a constitutional crisis going on about what kind of government we're going to have and who's going to, to rule us. So I, I would put it in those terms. It's not about making up a list of this particular case would have been different or that particular issue would have been different, although there are lots of those which are extremely significant. I think this is a question between uh, whether we continue down a path uh, towards expert rule. And, and remember, you know, judges in many ways are another, just another form of, of expert rule, which the progressives advocated. We mostly think about, about that in terms of the bureaucrats right, uh, ruling us through their decisions or their regulations as opposed to trying to reestablish, uh, not in one fell swoop, but over time, to revive a sense of constitutional uh, rule, of, of trying to rein in the modern administrative state under the executive, of trying to push towards a stronger exertion of congr- congressional powers and legislative authority, of, of trying to actually limit the decisions the court makes and make them make more constitutional decisions as opposed to making up arbitrary rules and tests. Uh, which points us towards a, a revival or a semblance of, of self-government and you know, the, the lifeblood of, of what it means to be a republic. So I, I think there's a, it's a much more significant thing here that I think the American people need to think more broadly about. These appointments are extremely significant, which is why I emphasized last time uh, that, it, that this wasn't merely a debate between liberal constitutionalism and conservative constitutionalism. 
this is really a debate between the Constitution and constitutionalism and what it means today, and it's a form by which we are ruled, uh, and we self-govern under these rule of, a rule-of-law system, or we're going to continue going down a path and really turn it over to unelected experts, either bureaucrats or, or judges, that don't respect the Constitution. That's the question before our country. That's the larger question we face uh, now and for some time. And I think the, these appointments are going to be a significant contribution towards at least getting the courts uh, in line on, on these questions so that we, through the elected uh, branches of government, can start ruling ourselves again. Ninety-five percent agree. But there is one thing that that deserves special uh, attention, the redistricting cases. Because if the judges had, as Stephen Breyer wished they had, he's always called it his greatest disappointment, gotten those two judges, if the living Constitution enthusiasts have gotten those two vacancies, redistricting would be stripped from the states and put in the hands of Democrats, increasingly left-leaning Democratic judges, you point out especially. And the right of the people to decide how redistricting occurred would have been gone. And that is a fundamental challenge to the way we represent ourselves. I, I, I completely agree. So let's say 100%. You're absolutely right. But I would think that's consistent with the, the broader uh, brush I've, I've painted with here, which is that's an example of uh, judicial experts taking over and yes. taking something away from legislatures uh, based on consent. This, that's a political question. Uh, and that would have been an example of, of continuing in the wrong direction, which and that one in particular would have had a, a, a large effect as to how this continued uh, going forth. This doesn't solve this problem. Let's, let's not uh, mistake this. The judicial appointments do not solve the problem. They don't make it easier. It's not a uh, silver bullet. That's very important to understand. All this is doing is getting the courts organized in a way that will allow us to govern ourselves, and we, get, we have a lot of large decisions to make as our future, uh, in the future debates about our, our politics. But this is a very significant shift, and those who thought that the trends were all in the wrong direction and this was all over are wrong. This opens it up again, I think. And That's it. It's not losing. Our country. It's about not, not losing. losing. It's about not right. losing. Matt Spaulding, director of the Kirby Center. Thank you, my friend. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. We'll be back I'm with all Spartacus. the Spartacuses in the Hugh at Radio I'm Universe, Spartacus. including Generalissimo, Adam, Ben, all of you on the next Hugh Hewitt Monday. Don't miss it. I am Spartacus. I am Spartacus. I am Spartacus. I am Spartacus.